we've said in one form or another every week that uh, God intends for each of us uh, to be lifelong learners. And I hope that you've accepted that in your own life. It's a terrible thing. It always makes me cringe when I can tell people have stopped learning or, or they've lost their desire to learn. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times Christian books and even churches, you know, give the impression that God's only desire is to uh, get us to recite a certain formula uh, in agreement with what he wants us to believe so that he can then be allowed to whisk us to heaven. And that's all this life is about is, you know, coming to the right formula and getting whisked away to heaven. But that's not at all what the scripture teaches. Um, God is much bigger than that. He's much wiser. His intention is larger. And what it teaches is that he wants if at all possible in this life for each and every one of us as humans to come back to him, our creator, in trust, to put our trust, our faith in Christ. And once we reconnect with him in that form, then he can start to help us grow and develop. And in this very life, we are expected by God, we, it's his intention at least, that we can grow and develop to the very last day of our life to become more Christ-like, a more Christ-like version of ourselves, and to do the things that God always intended and equipped us to uniquely do. So it's a much bigger picture. And in order for us to be who God meant us to be and do what he meant us to do, we, we have to be always, always learning and developing. In this series of messages, we've looked at five previous uh, unique contexts that God places us in to kind of stir and catalyze this learning process. And we finally come to this last one today, relational learning. Now, we are incurably relational beings. Uh, truth of the matter is, each and every one of us, if we were to measure what our emotional happiness quotient is at any given time, it would not often be the result of what our circumstances are. It would be the result of what our relationships are. Relationships have a way of getting right to the very heart and core of us. And the reason being is that the scripture says we're made in the image of God. And the scripture, when it's trying to describe God in just one word, in 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. Meaning that everything that God does is motivated. It is governed by his love. And we are love-driven beings as well. Albeit God's love, as we're going to see in this message, it's different than what our fallen human tendency toward love is. Now, they did a study at Harvard for 72 years, and they came up with uh, one conclusion that was not very surprising. Here it is. What really makes human beings happy was the, the study. That the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. Now, we would add to that... Uh, our relationship to our creator is even more important than that. But their, their uh, finding is not that surprising. We know that it deeply affects us, our relationship with other people. Now, what we want to do is, is give um, kind of science a chance to speak to us a little bit, to kind of affirm what Scripture tells us already about ourselves. And a neurobiological study came out with this. It said the most fundamental revelation of the discipline of neuro neurobiology is that we are wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. So we're drawn, we're driven toward connection. Uh, we often seek as intimate a connection with people as we possibly can. Now, we're going to look at a, a scripture in a minute, and... Um, First, first, uh, first session, I, I kind of took us through a text. I'm going to kind of shorten that up and just tell you the background of it. But we'll, ha we'll have the scripture on, on the screen, and then I'll just kind of fill in the context. 
The context for this, before I read it, is that this takes place after Jesus has had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, everybody laying down their clothes saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But it also means it's just days before he's going to be crucified. The religious leaders have made up their mind. He has humiliated them so many times that they are now determined to have him arrested and to have him executed. Um, This is an ironic thing because these are the people that spent their entire lives studying God's word. And yet when God himself showed up in Jesus, they didn't recognize him, nor did they like him. So there have been a series of trick questions that chapter 22 in Matthew, and I urge you sometime read it on your own, Matthew 22. The religious leaders trying to trip Jesus up with religious questions. And this was the third one in Matthew 22. Uh, This religious expert came and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of all? Here was Jesus' answer. He said, he said, Teacher, which command in the law is the most important? Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. And the second command is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the writings of these prophets take their meaning from these two commands. Now, what Jesus was saying here is kind of big. Um, how many commandments were there in the Old Testament? Because that's all that Jesus had in his day. The New Testament wasn't for him. How many commands? No, it was 613. I got you. I got the first service that way too. There were 613, 10 among the 613. How many commandments in the New Testament? We're all familiar with that, right? right? How, how, many, how many commands in the New Testament? 1,050. Yeah, yeah I, I know it was right on the tip of your tongue. But 1,050 commands. But here's the cool thing. If we could go back to that verse really quick. Jesus is saying that that loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, that the 613 Old Testament, the 1050 New Testament commands, they are all just expressions or applications of loving God. If we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we love our neighbor as ourselves, we we will be fulfilling them, and these commands teach us how to fulfill them in any given circumstance, in any given time. Okay, so we can't just think that, you know, our feelings are going to guide us because God's love, unlike ours, is principle governed. We tend to let our love and our relationships be governed by feelings or emotions. And any relationship that is based on feelings or emotions, I want to tell you what it's like. You ever watch those contests where those guys, they've got the logs on the water and then the guys get on the logs and they start spinning them and see who can stay on them the longest? Well, any relationship that's built... With a foundation of emotion and feelings, it's, it's like one of those log rides. It's going to be stressful, it's going to be difficult, and you're going to have some falls. But if a relationship is built on love, God's kind of love, which is always principle governed, it is seeking to do what God says is the very best thing you can do for the other person, regardless of how you're being treated. It is principle governed love. All those commands, the 613 in the Old Testament, 1050 in the New, they're all just ways to love God and love people appropriately in a given situation. And so when we have our relationships undergirded by that, it's, it's like a firm foundation, unlike when they're emotionally driven. Now, each and every one of us, we have a problem with learning how to love God's way. My, my tendency, my my automatic response is to be self-centered, self-absorbed, to, to ask myself kind of, you know, what am I getting out of this? Is this fun? Is this making me happy? Am I getting pleasure? Are you benefiting me? What are you doing for me? How are you making me feel? That's what I reflexively go to. And if you're honest with yourself, so do you. 
And yet God's love is the complete opposite of that. It calls upon us to say, how can I bless? How can I build? How can I uh, serve this other person? What am I doing for them? Not what are they doing for me or what am I getting out of it? That's totally contrary to our tendency. We are driven by uh, selfish fears. In other words, we don't know when we're going to die. And so we kind of unconsciously program ourselves to like, okay, since I don't know when I'm going to die, I'm going to try to stay alive as long as I can. And while I'm here, I'm going to have as much fun as I can. And I'm going to experiment along the way to see what gives me pleasure, what doesn't. And so this makes me selfish and self-absorbed. I wasn't born in the Garden of Eden face to face with God with a perfect body and a perfect environment. And neither were you. Hence, we are driven by self-preservation and self-gratification. We become selfish beings. Okay, that, that's our state. And so to learn to love God's way, this relational love, it pulls us out of our selfishness and self-absorption. Every relationship, and relationships are on all these different complex levels. You know, you've got relationship with strangers, people you meet in the grocery store or the bank or whatever. You've got relationship with kind of casual friends, maybe the people that are, you know, in your, your club or, or whatever, um, you know, physical things you may do. You've got relationships with extended family members, you know, uncles and cousins and so forth. Then you've got your closer family, maybe your kids, Maybe a marital relationship, husband and wife. And so we have all these different levels, best friends, friendships and things. And each one of these relationships, they offer us an opportunity to, to love and to be stretched, to be pulled away from our selfishness. You know and I know you cannot sustain a relationship with any human being unless you get into their thoughts, into their feelings, into their shoes, so to speak, a little bit. Every relationship forces me out of my selfishness, and that's good for me, and it's good for you. Now, it doesn't always feel good. You know, I, I, I have a resistance mechanism in myself, so do you. But it's always good for us. Loving God's way always means unselfishly giving and devoting ourselves, not seeking anything in return just because it's the right way by the way uh, God's love is the only way that life can work for human beings with free will if you have angels and human beings that have free will the only way that all of us can live together forever in perfect harmony and perfect fulfillment is for all of us to love the way that God loves which means that we always do the right things toward one another therefore the universe will be safe and secure forever all right so Jesus starts by saying, first we're to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And that's critical because, you see, you can't love God that way. I can't love God that way unless I first trust him. And that's why you'll hear us emphasize often in here the critical importance of making sure that we as individuals have made a thinking, mature decision to put our faith and our trust in Christ and to become his follower. And if we're not following Christ, we have not trusted him. I don't care what theological formula you believe in. You, you can believe it and recite it all you want. If you're not following Christ, you have not trusted him. But once we trust him, then we have a foundation to learn to love him. You can't, you can't start loving somebody really, truly God's way unless you trust them. So Jesus says, love God first. Now, the reason that's critical is because we can't take care of ourselves sufficiently. We can't get the healing God wants to give us. We can't get the reorientation that we need unless we love God supremely, which means we're going to submit ourselves to him. We're going to seek him, seek his word, seek his will so that we can get healed and reoriented in our life. The best thing you and I can ever do for ourselves is to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when we 
devote ourselves, give supreme allegiance to God, now something starts to happen inside of us. We start to get healthy. We start to get whole. We find that this emptiness, this, this un, uh, it's, it's very hard to define, this sense of gnawing emptiness that we sometimes have, it starts to go away. We know who we are, why we're here. We know we're always loved. We know Christ says he'll never leave us and forsake us. So we get sort of full inside and we are not so fragile and we're not so needy. How many of you have just met people in your life, if you're sitting beside them, just kind of look away, and, but, but they're so fragile, they're so needy, they're always whining and complaining, and, and, and no matter how much you give, they'll just suck the life out of you and, and a thousand others like you. How many of you know people like that? Yeah, and, and it's, it's all right. It's all right if you're that person. How many of you are those people? <laughs> But once we love God supremely, got to hear this one, we've trusted Christ and now we're really loving God, giving supreme allegiance to him, devotion to him, he starts to heal us and, and we're not so fragile anymore and we're not so needy anymore and consequently we now have something to give. We have the capacity as well as the desire to actually unselfishly love others and relationships they help us to learn how to do this because they all demand uh, differently of us all through our life. There's a verse that um, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was, was looking over a troubled church in Ephesus and Paul, after about 15 years, is writing to his young protege. And it's an interesting verse because it's kind of one of those summarizing verses that says, you know, hey, well, what's the intent of all God's teaching? You know, what, what is it aiming at? What is it trying to, to accomplish in us? And it goes like this. He says, our teaching about this journey is intended to bring us to a single destination. God wants to bring us all to the same destination. A place where self-giving love, that's God's kind of love. Ours is selfish love. God's is self-giving love, sacrificial love, reigns, governs us, would be another way of saying it, from a pure heart, meaning I'm not loving because I want to get something back from somebody or to manipulate somebody. My intention is pure. I'm just doing it because it's God's way and it's right from a pure heart and a clean conscience. And I'm loving this way not to make up for my sins or because I feel guilty or I, or I owe somebody or I'm trying to rebuild trust. No, no, no. I'm just doing this. I'm so I'm practicing this self-giving love. My heart is pure. My conscience is clean. And it's all based on my genuine, what is the word? Faith. I genuinely trust Christ. Whatever he says, I do. He, whatever he says, stop doing, I stop because I genuinely trust him. It's an authentic conviction. I'm not doing it out of religious consideration or fear or anything else. And, and that's God's intent to bring us to this self-giving love that's not motivated by any guilt or fear or any such thing. That's the goal. So we want to start right there, recognizing God's relational goal. One of the big problems that we have in relationships is we have unrealistic expectations or the wrong expectations. How many of you have ever heard people say things like, you know, you're not making me very happy. You know? How many of you have ever heard people say something like that? So, so what are they saying? Essentially, this relationship, whatever it is, it's supposed to make me happy. And often, without our thinking, this is how we measure relationships. Whether it's with a stranger or a friend or a family member, it's like, you know, if this is making me happy, this is not making me happy, it's out, it's, it's gone, it's cut off. So, our unthought through idea is that the goal of every relationship is to make us happy. But that is not God's goal. 
God's goal for relationships are to stretch us and to pull at us and to make us uncomfortable and to force us out of our selfishness so that we learn self-giving love because you know and I know you can't, re- you can't sustain a relationship with anybody for very long unless you're willing to think about them at least a little bit. You can't sustain it. So it pulls us toward his goal, which is this self-giving kind of a love. Now, in our day and age, these relationships are extra complicated because of technology and some of the things that it's introduced. It's a guy named um, William Dereshowitz that has a really interesting, rather long quote, but worth hearing because of the day and age we live in. He said, we have ceased to believe that a friend's highest purpose, he's talking about friend relationships here, that a friend's highest purpose is to summon us to the good by offering moral advice and correction. We practice instead the non-judgmental friendship of unconditional acceptance and support. Therapeutic friendship. You know, we all know if you go to a therapist, the therapist isn't going to condemn you for much of anything. You know, whatever you do is okay, as long as your, your insurance holds up at least. And so we want this in our friendships, that whatever we want to do, no matter how brainless or selfish or hurtful it is, that that friend just supports us and goes along. And that's what we want. But it didn't used to be that way. Used to be that a real friend would tell you, you know, what you're doing is foolish, it's hurtful, it's wrong. And because I love you, I'm going I'm to take the risk of losing the friendship to tell you that. That's his point. He goes on. He said, a friend fulfills her duty, we suppose, by taking our side, our side, validating our feelings, supporting our decisions, helping us to feel good about ourselves. We're busy people. We want our friendships fun and friction free. He goes on. With the social networking sites of the new century, the friendship circle has expanded to engulf the whole of the social world, and in so doing, destroyed both its own nature and that of the individual friendship itself. Facebook's very premise and promise is that it makes our friendship circles visible. There they are, my friends, all in the same place, except, of course, they're not in the same place, or rather, they're not my friends They're a superficial likeness or semblance of my friends, little dehydrated packets of images and information. No more my friends than a set of baseball cards is the New York Mets. Let that one sink in a bit. He goes on. Friendship is devolving, not evolving, not improving, not growing. Friendship is devolving, in other words, from a relationship to a feeling, from something people share to something each of us hugs privately to ourselves in the loneliness of our electronic caves. Now, we need to give real thought to this because we're the only generation that's ever been on this planet that has had this kind of media involvement and engagement, and it pulls at us, and I believe desensitizes us and demotivates us to have real relationships because the synthetic ones are so much easier but they'll keep your your soul in a state of atrophy they won't stretch you they won't expand you they won't help you and I to learn to really love God's way because that always pulls us into those uncomfortable uh, areas where we must learn to think about other things that we wouldn't normally care about other people. Listen to this verse from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the Colossae. And he just gives this long list of this is what love looks like. God's kind of unselfish love. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. I'm just curious. How many of you this morning, before you came here, you, you clothed yourself? Can I just see your hands? Okay. I'm, I'm good. Glad to hear that. All right. 
So I, let me just make sure of something. So you didn't just like pray, oh God, I'm here. I surrender my all to you. And now just clothe me any way you want. You know the way you want me to look. And I just want to look the way you want me to look. You just prayed and all the clothes fell on you. Nobody did that, right? No, because you'd still be naked if you prayed that way. We in Christian world have to recognize the way that God operates. We have confused dreadfully um, this idea that if I just surrender enough Uh, that automatically God comes in and starts rearranging me inside and changing me. But his word is full of processes that if you and I don't cooperate with him, nothing will happen. That says, clothe yourself. It means I have to do something. You have to do something. Well, what do I need to clothe myself with, Lord? With tenderhearted mercy. That's going to require some thought. Um, with, With kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience, it's saying that I must assert my mind and my will to think about, well, what does patience look like? What does tenderhearted mercy look like? How can I be tenderhearted in this situation, that situation? Am I being humble enough? Am I being gentle enough? We have to think. We have to cooperate with God. Clothe ourselves. It goes on. Make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, wait a minute. So that means that in a relationship, I have to give room for there to be faults in other people as well as faults in myself. It goes on. It says... Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone. Oh, you mean somebody's going to hurt my feelings or offend me or be mean to me? For Forgive anyone who offends you. Yes, they will. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, here we go again. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. God's kind of love, unselfish consideration for the highest well-being of the other person according to how God reveals it. I've got to put that on. I've got to remind myself about that. It's not something that's going to happen automatically. If I do my part, God will do his part, and that change will start to take root in us, and it'll become who we really become. Now, one of the problems we have with with recognizing this goal that God has of unselfish love is that it, it, it requires understanding people. And understanding people is really, really hard. Um, You know and I know it's hard enough just to understand ourselves. It takes a long time to get some measure of understanding, much less understanding other people. The good news is technology is coming to our rescue. Uh, There's a radio called Solo Radio. This is real. This is what this looks like if you have uh, Solo Radio. It's called Emotional Radio. You stand before this thing, and this silly little face there uh, is actually a camera looking back at you. And so the camera studies your face, and it's been the computer, you know, software has been trained to recognize certain facial features, and it analyzes your mood by your facial features, and then it starts playing music to fit your mood. So how cool is that? Wouldn't it be cool to have that, you know, at your home? And, you know, you, so you walk into your house, and you hear this, this really angry-sounding music playing. You're like, oh, shoot. You know, you just kind of lower your head and go straight to your room or something. But um, we need to understand people to stand them, (laughs) okay? And it's not an easy thing. The uh, RMG Research Group came up with a little chart to help us uh, learn how to understand people a bit better. Let me share this with you. The RMG Research Group, that's Randy Michael Goldenberg Research Group. Uh, (laughs) Young children, there are some important things here. I know it's obvious, but, but trust me. Young children... You as adults, me as adults, it's a one-way relationship. I am the giver. You are the giver. We're the servants to the child. Uh, that, that means we've got to come down to that child's level. They need time. They need play. They need attention that makes sense to them, that sort of thing. 
The child has very little understanding or capacity to understand us or others. Okay, we need to tuck that away. No capacity or objectivity. Objectivity is, is something that, um, what I mean by that is that a person has come to the place where they've processed sufficiently enough of their baggage in their life with God and His grace. They've come to understand who God is, the truth about Him, the truth about life, the truth about themselves. And they've come to that place where they are full enough from God, His love in them, that they're just not so needy. They're not fear-driven. They're not need-driven. And, and they have something to give. They have object, objectivity. They can look at things without being driven by their own neediness. Okay, so that's what I mean by objectivity. Teens, again, it's a one-way relationship. Don't, don't expect too much of your teens. You're still the giver. You're still the servant. The child is starting to have understanding of others, just starting to. They have a little capacity, and they have next to no objectivity. All you got to think about is a teen that's going through a relational situation themselves. They think it's the end of the world, and you tell them as parents. We all say the same thing. Once you graduate from high school, you're not even going to care about these people. How many have ever had that talk with their teenagers? Yeah, and it's true. It's true, but the kid will never believe you because to them, it's life and death. I, can't, I don't know if I can ever go to school again. And yeah, you just go. You'll go. You'll be okay. No, but they, they don't, it's not their fault. They don't have much objectivity objectivity young adults it changes these are two-way relationships we've got to know at each relationship what's the appropriate loving self-giving love approach young adults it is now two-way you're the giver and the receiver they have real understanding it's starting to develop in other words understanding of other people the capacity to understand other people it's increasing they're starting to have some objectivity it starts to show itself in the form of common sense Sometimes they go through a stage where they are omniscient. They know everything. Then they come out of it and they realize they knew nothing. But, but there are those stages. But anyway, it changes. Maturing adult. Now here's where it starts to get exciting. And when I say maturing, I don't just mean in chronological years. I mean mental, emotional maturity and most importantly spiritual maturity. Maturing adult. Two-way relationships are now possible. You're the giver and the receiver. You have significant understanding of other people, of, of human beings. You have capacity now to give. You don't always need. You're not driven by your needs and fears. You have objectivity and even insight. You've got some decades under your belt now where you've learned about God and learned about life and learned about your own soul. And you come into relationships full and ready to, to give and to bless and to build. You're not so needy anymore. And then the best of all, and for us that are, you know, getting some chronology under our belt, if we're growing spiritually, mentally, emotionally, here's the good news. It gets better. It does not get worse. Mature adult, two-way relationship, but heavily weighed toward giving. We just don't need anything anymore. You get spiritually more mature, you get where you're so full and you're so experienced, you just look and, and you don't even try to analyze other people to understand. You just do and you just know how to give and you're always reflectively just, it's reflexive, just wanting to give, wanting to serve, wanting to bless. Very significant understanding the mature adult, maximum capacity for objectivity and something I call clarity, where you see life exactly as it is. It's kind of like in the NFL, when, and, and for anybody that's not a football fan, please bear with this part of the message. But, you know, quarterbacks that come into the NFL, they say their first two or three seasons, it's really hard because everything is fast. They can't find their receivers. They can't see the field. But then they say about the third, fourth year, everything seems to slow down. And they can see everything. And they can find their first receiver, second receiver, third receiver. 
when you get to maturity, that's how it is. It's like all your accumulated learnings from life and God, they're all your foundation now, and you view everything through that lens, and you have instant, instant ability to assess things, and you're reacting from a giving posture, not driven by your own needs as much. It's a grand, it's a grand thing to get to. So here's the kind of capacities we have. So this helps us to understand what's appropriate at any different, different level. Now, there's another way that we can understand relationships so that we can be self-giving, and it's simply by listening. Listen to this quote from Rob Lebesnik, uh, one of the writers on The Simpsons. He said, after your next long conversation with someone, estimate what percentage of it you spent talking. Be honest. No, you're already underestimating. How do I know? Because it's more fun to talk than to listen. Talking is like drinking a great Cabernet. Listening is like doing squats. Listening is like reading a corporate report. Talking is like eating a cinnamon bun. <laughs> but we can learn. Part of loving God's way means I must cultivate the ability to really focus and listen. And it's, it's hard. It's easier to just spew out Whatever's on my mind. And so it is with all of us. But we can learn. And if we listen, we can understand people better, which means we're going to be able to, to love God's way uh, more efficiently and more practically. Now, there's a little phrase that I think uh, sums up everything I'm trying to say in this message. Relational learning is the path to loving God's way, all of our different relationships with all their complexity and all the frustration. And in fact, let me say this. The ones that are the most frustrating, that, that are the most difficult, sometimes allow us the greatest capacity or opportunity to grow in unselfish love. So don't get discouraged. If you're in one of those, they actually give you more opportunity to move forward toward loving God's way. But relational learning, it's the path to loving God's way. And so it's really critical that we handle all these different relationships in our life uh, quite seriously. Let me share one more piece of uh, uh, insight for you to give you some guidance about the typical pathways to intimacy. This is also by the RMG Research uh, Group. Uh, relationships, and some of you really need this because you're gushers, man. As soon as you meet somebody, you just spew out your whole life. As we get older, we tend to do that. It's shameful. We, we really need to, to slow ourselves down. But um, relationships usually start out by people just have shared interest you know it's kind of like hey you like sports I like sports you like taxidermy I like taxidermy so we just kind of get together then it's sharing likes and tastes you know I like the Redskins you like the Steelers you know things like that then we, we get a little more vulnerable we start sharing opinions well this is what I believe about that and then you say well that's what I believe about that you know so that that's a little more vulnerable we're getting deeper level of intimacy sharing beliefs and values now it's getting really deep here's what i really believe here's what's important most important to me now you're really showing a lot of your soul that's that's kind of vulnerable stuff deeper level sharing hopes and dreams now there's a there's a purpose to this it gives you two things it gives you a guideline for what's an appropriate time level for letting a relationship develop how it should develop secondly it gives you a measuring tool to measure the intimacy of any relationship you're in Okay, that's the purpose of this thing. Sharing hopes and dreams. Okay, now this is deeper yet. You know, what, what your dreams are, what your hopes are. Then the, the, really the deep level is sharing your feelings. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm scared or, or I'm, I'm worried or, or I'm struggling or whatever it is. That, that's a really deep level when you're sharing your feelings with someone. But that's not the deepest level. The deepest level of all is you're sharing your feelings 
as well as the reasons behind them. I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling insecure because X, Y, Z. And you start telling maybe things that have happened in your life or what's going on inside you. Now you're, you're sharing on the most vulnerable level. That's the deepest level of intimacy. Use this little tool to measure the levels of intimacy in your relationships. And for some of us, use them as a guide so that you don't go you know, too fast forward too soon in, in uh, establishing relationships. All right, this positions us then to seize the relational opportunities that we have each and every day. When we seize them, we develop, we grow. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul once again from uh, his writing to the followers of Christ in Galatia. He says, so seize... Any opportunity the Lord gives you to do what? Good things and to be what? A blessing to everyone, especially those within our faithful family, meaning the the faithful family of followers of Christ. So he says you got to seize these opportunities. They're there, whether it's the relationship with uh, even the enemy. Did you know that Jesus even tells us how to love an enemy in Luke 6.26? He says uh, love an enemy by doing good to them by blessing them when they curse you and by praying for them. It's three steps where we can love them. It doesn't mean we're going to have good feelings for them, but it gives us concrete steps of God's kind of unselfish way to behave. So we have to seize opportunities in all these different layers of relationships. The good things are there to be done. The blessings that we can give are there. But if we don't seize these opportunities, we won't experience the development that God intends. Here's another verse from Paul writing to followers of Christ in Philippi. He says, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your God. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. And then this critical verse, do not be interested only in your own life, which is my tendency, your tendency, but be interested in the lives of others. This positions us inwardly to seize those opportunities to do good and to bless and so forth. Now, I'm going to close with this. How many of you have recently been to a restaurant in Frederick? Can I see your hands? Of course you do, because they're all full. You have to stand in line every weekend to go to a line. You go every weekend, evidently, to restaurants. But you know the, the typical scene. You, uh, you go to the restaurants, and if you get there at the wrong time, you are going to stand in a line and wait. So let's just pretend You've planned it out, man. It's Friday. You've been working hard all week long, and you just can't wait to go to your favorite restaurant, and you've got it planned perfectly. You arrive early, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes before that big rush comes, you know, so you didn't have to stand in line. You came right in, and you got seated right away. How many have ever had that experience? You, you come in, yeah, man, and you're like, this is, this is good. It's all working. It's all working. So you're sitting there, and... Uh, you know, you're noticing around you, there's a few other customers, not many, and, and you notice some of the servers are there because you can tell by their shirts and uniforms. And they're sitting at tables too, and you're thinking, oh, it must just be a shift thing. The shift hasn't started yet. So you're not too concerned. You're looking at your menu happily, you know, anticipating what you're going to eat. And um, then all of a sudden, you're, you're like, huh, it seems like a lot of time has gone by, you know? So you, look, you pick up your phone and you check the time. You don't look at your watch anymore. Nobody has watches anymore. You look at your phone and um, you realize, Wow, man, it's been 20 minutes. And so you're, you're looking around trying to catch the eyes of some of those servers that are sitting there. And one of them looks up, just kind of nods and smiles. And you're like, what, what, is, what is this? You know? So you finally, you get up and you go over to the server. Now, you're very careful. You're very polite. You're very nice because you don't want them messing with your food. You know? So you're like, oh, I don't mean to bother you. Um, but I, I, I've been here like 20 minutes. And you know, I, I was just waiting for somebody to take my order. And the server looks up at you and says, well, how about that? 
That's what I've been waiting for somebody to do, to take my order. Now you're confused. Is this one of these servers that doesn't know appropriate humor with, with the, the customer? Or, or, or what am I dealing with here? And you're saying, oh, did, did you really mean that? And they say, no, I couldn't be more serious. You saw me sitting here for 20 minutes. You said it yourself. Why didn't you come over and serve me? <laughs> now at this point... All these different emotions are racing through your mind. You're not sure if somebody's going to say, hi, you're on candy camera. Uh, but you're thinking of sinning and sinning violently. <laughs> and you're wondering if you can get away with it. <laughs> but then you calm yourself down and you go back to your table and you're going to report to your partner that's there with you. You know, Can, can you believe this? I, I, I had this conversation that... You know, so-and-so expects me to serve them. And, and I, what do we go? Do you want to go to the manager about this? Or do we just, we just split? We just leave this dump and we never come back again. I'm curious. I asked this in the first service. How many of you would be, I'm leaving this place. They will never see my face again. Let me see how many hands are in that. Okay. How many of you are, I'm going to the manager. I'm telling. I'm telling. <laughs> well, here's the point. We get confused in our relationships with the goal of any relationship, and we get confused with what our role is in any relationship. Consequently, our expectations are not realistic, and frustration and friction starts to happen. We're expecting to be served. Someone else is expecting to be served. Nobody's getting served. And everybody's getting frustrated. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Are you in a relationship somewhere right now where you're frustrated? Maybe it's beyond frustration. Maybe you're losing hope. You're downright miserable and unhappy. You're feeling angry, lonely, whatever it is. You're ready to leave the restaurant, you know, and never come back. Or you're ready to, to tell somebody, get somebody else involved to try to straighten this thing out because you just can't take any more. Could it simply be that without knowing it, you had the wrong goal for the relationship? You thought the relationship was somehow to serve you, make you happy. It's not. It's to stretch your soul to learn unselfishness for your own sake and my sake. And maybe you didn't know what your role was. You see, your role, according to Galatians 6.10, my role is always to be the one that says, can I serve you? Can I bless you? Can I build you? But I can't do that unless I have a capacity for it. Unless I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is going to then immerse me in his love, I'm not going to be full enough inside. I'm not going to be strong enough. I'm not going to have anything to give, in other words. I'm always going to be looking to take. I'm going to suck you dry and then complain at the end of it. So... The problem is their expectations are clashing. Everybody's expecting to get and nobody's expecting to give. Now, I'm not talking about allowing yourself to be abused and disrespected. Jesus didn't. He never let somebody disrespect him, abuse him. He did it one time when he went to the cross to demonstrate the sacrificial love of God one time for all. So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about what if, what if the only thing that was lacking in a certain relationship right now was you or me saying, I got to know what the goal is. The goal of these relationships is God is teaching me to love unselfishly like himself. And the less I'm getting back, the more opportunity I have to develop that way. That's my goal. And what if we, we said the role, my role in this relationship, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. My role in the relationship is to give, to bless, to do good for them. 
Whether they respond or not, that, that's their business. If you know the goal and you know the role, your expectations will be realistic and it will be very hard to frustrate you and you have a lot of power, a lot of control because regardless of what the other person does, they cannot stop you from loving and giving and serving and your capacity will not go dry. Ironically, the more we love and give and bless and serve, the greater our capacity gets, the greater our peace and the greater our love, our ability to love God's way. So what if you went home, what if we all went home and we started assessing all the different relationships, you know, friends, relatives, close family, you know, spouses, all these things, and, and we started looking at the levels of intimacy and, and how we're doing in them, and what have, we, what have been our, our, our thoughts about, what's the goal, what's my role, what have been my expectations, and we started making some adjustments. What if we also did this? We started asking ourselves, what is my relationship to God am I really loving him with all my heart mind soul and strength what would that look like um, wouldn't that mean that he'd be the the supreme center of my life and I'd be devoting whatever it takes to get to know him better and to to do his will and and maybe we can make some adjustments there and maybe some of us we realize man I've never really put my trust in Christ I'm, I'm still following myself uh, I do what I want to do but today I'm going to change my mind and put my trust in Christ and mend that critical relationship and become his follower so that I can immerse myself in God's love and have a growing capacity to love unselfishly others. I hope you'll contemplate those two things and I hope you'll let the Spirit of God you know, kind of move your heart to do the things that you need to do in, in your particular life. Uh, we can all do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, your Spirit will help us to do the kind of assessing we need to do that our relationships can catalyze this unselfish love that you want to release in us uh, in every relationship that we have. Help us to be wise. Help us to be cautious. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.